Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Morning guys, Russ here and I've got some exciting news for you all. Support from All Over Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Join the movement for all your below-the-waist grooming needs. Get 20% off and free delivery with the code MALLOVER20 at manscaped.com. Manscaped has just launched in the UK. And men have gone for years and years and years without having the right tools for the job. You can be one of the first men in the UK to experience their life-changing products. I know over the years I've struggled many times with personal grooming, shaving, creams, cutting yourself, all that sort of stuff. But none of that is a problem with the Manscaped redesigned electric trimmer. It features a cutting ceramic edge blade to reduce grooming accidents, 7,000 RPM motor, which enables it to work seamlessly through even the thickest of hair. So go get rid of that bush. Make it clean and tidy and get 20% off and free delivery with the code MALLOVER20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free delivery with MALLOVER20 at manscaped.com. Your balls will definitely thank you. Now it's time for Brian Habana. Hi there, I'm Brian Habana and you're listening to the MALLOVER podcast. Hello, good evening and welcome to this week's Small Over Podcast, the only rugby podcast that gives you all the news, views and opinion on the weekend's rugby action, all with a West Country accent. You can find us on Twitter, we are at Small Over Podcast, we are Small Over Rugby Podcast on Facebook and you can find all of our podcasts on Anchor and Apple Pods and the Google Store and all of those other uh, podcatchers that you like to use. Uh, I'm joined this week. We've got a full house back together. Uh, so Ben, Phil, and the Lensman are all here. Welcome, gentlemen. You went Hello. super posh there, Russ, at the start. Welcome super along posh. to the Mall Over pod- Podcast. You've did I say podcast? Did I say right. pod- podcast rather than podcast? Yeah. And then bath went, rather yeah, than the bath. Where were the only podcast? Oh, so I, <laughs> so I actually covered both bases: podcast and podcast. I didn't even realise I'd done that, mate. Although, as I was just saying, I have been playing golf and I've probably had at least three too many beers that I should have done. And uh, cracked open a bottle of 2005 uh, Cab Sav. So, yeah, there you go. Uh, does that make me sound relatively Why posh? have you given us the year? Like, it makes absolutely any difference. <laughs> well, <laughs> like a two, oh, I've got a 2005 Cab Sav that I bought from Tesco's for the low, low, low price of seven ninety nine. Well, no, I, I got... Any time Russ has got nine bottles of wine I, in the house. I got given, uh, I got given a crate of wine uh, by my boss the other day. And it was it contained um, a an amount of bottles, all of this two thousand and five uh, Sauvignon, and uh, I must say it's an incredibly snazzy bouquet. Does it smell of basil? No, 
<laughs> I'll have a bottle of blue nun. Um, but before we get going, I want to both commend and thank Ben and Phil for last week. Um, I dropped out late doors due to some ladies cricket coaching that I found myself involved in. And you boys were superb. Doug, I, I th- I'm sure you'll agree. It was a very good listen and with an element of humour. Um, I will call you both pussies to the question that who you most like to have a fight with. Um, you know, I, I've I've got my own thoughts on that. But, you know, what was it? A uh, You wanted to have a fight with a sheep, Ben. And you were trying to goad Phil into having a fight with an alpaca. Yeah, I think that's that's about fair. Jams, You've got jams, to pick your battles. Fair summary, yeah. So I, I shared something, I, and I wanted to answer this question. And Doug, I don't know if you fancy answering this one as well in a minute when you've had a chance to to have a quick think about it, given that I've given you no warning. But when I listened to the podcast last week, it made me want to uh, to join in, and I had a, a very very nice time listening to you both slate and you know embrace me at the same time it was like you were you were cuddling me whilst punching me in the back of the head you know can i can i shock you i quite like russ <laughs> which it, it it did make me laugh anyway going back to the fighting an animal question it's like um, saying you like james haskell and well we could we may or may not get onto that later on um given the amount of content scheduled for this week's podcast. But I will, I, I text you immediately as I was listening last Tuesday morning, potentially. And I'd quite like to have a fight with a kangaroo. Like a proper boxing match with a kangaroo. And it may well kick my ass. Did I, did I offer, I can't remember whether I offered another round. Oh, an ostrich. It was an ostrich or a kangaroo. And now, I think you'd have more chance with a kangaroo. I reckon an ostrich would fuck you over quite quickly. Ostriches are horrible. Um, they but, are, but uh, they're, li- they're limited with attacking weapons, aren't they, the ostrich? Can't they disembowel yeah. a lion? Isn't that a thing? Right, if the lion's dead, potentially. Haven't um, they got, like, the really sharp claws or something? Well, they're not going to... But they've only got two feet on the ground, haven't they? So It's, it's their heads. It's the heads that they use. Heads as weapons. Yeah. So it provided you can you can get yourself in a position where you're not being pecked to death by uh, by said ostrich. But I'd like the thought, and I shared a video. I don't know if anybody's ever seen this on YouTube about the video of the guy who punches a kangaroo that had his dog in a headlock. Have you seen? I, I'm you've seen it in the group, did you? Yeah. Yeah. And I'd fancy like. Maybe not fancy my chances, but like as far as sport goes, it would be a hell of a watch, wouldn't it? Oh yeah, definitely. But I think I think you're under underestimating an alpaca when you're slating me here. Yeah. Well, no, I mean you 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 both danced around the subject for a little bit. You what know, the find, fuck is going on? Finding animals. <laughs> <laughs> finding animals that like basically you could both beat up. Rather than answering the question that you, who you can have you a fight with, you want to put with. that cab sav down, Russ. You're having a laugh, mate. Giving up. Can I just say, talk about punching alpacas. A frightened ostrich <laughs> can achieve a speed of 45 miles per hour. If cornered, it can deliver dangerous kicks capable of killing lions and other large predators. I'm not chasing it. 
<laughs> Shock. <laughs> it wouldn't be much of a chase, would it? No, it wouldn't. Absolutely if, would not. If you Remember ever that heard Simpsons of... episode where he's on the treadmill? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It'd be more like one of those Scooby-Doo episodes where they just run past the same background again and again and again. Have <laughs> you, um, you ever heard of the, the Great Emu War? No, I have not. So... After World that, War but One, there, but there's there's tonight's podcast title. By yeah. There. After World War One, the emus in the outback of Australia got out of control because all the men were away from Australia doing wars and that. And um, when they got back, they got trucks with machine guns to go and um, sort out the emus that were eating all the crops. But they found that emus are surprisingly clever, and they pretty much outsmarted the uh, Australian army. I bet Rod Rod Hull was fuming. Fuck that straight away. (laughs) Fuck. Um, Sorry about that. Anyway, uh, is this allegedly some kind of rugby podcast? You tell us. Well, (laughs) you're in charge. Well, you say I'm in charge after the job that you did last week, Ben. Yeah, I think it's only fair that uh, that you take the reins. (laughs) by <laughs> the last very last minute no I'm only joking I'm only joking George, George described last week as less angry <laughs> is, that, is that was that an official can we put that on our banner for Edinburgh Festival yeah ben, Ben's in charge <laughs> less angry I'm, I'm not sure we're selling out much at Edinburgh Festival let's be honest I mean we're not not, un- not unless we bring the kangaroo Mate, I yeah. think we're we're funnier than most rugby-based podcasts, given that there are about five hundred now. Um, although having said that, a load have just fallen by the wayside, and yet here we are still. Sorry, is that our new tagline? Funnier and less angry than some rugby podcasts. <laughs> not 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 fallen by the wayside. <laughs> yeah, S- still, still plugging there. away. Still plugging away. Um, right. Anyway, let's talk. Average let's talk but about persistent. Yeah, let's talk about some rugby, shall we? Um, Friday night. It's a Premiership weekend. Friday night saw the best two teams in the Premiership go head to head. Some people will say it's not Bristol's full strength squad. Radrandra, um, Sheedy. Uh, and a couple of there was there was one more who doesn't spring to mind, um, Nathan Hughes. But what I would say is watching that game on Friday night, those two teams, stroke squads, are by far the best two teams in the Premiership, and I think that that demonstrated it on Friday, didn't it, Phil? Yeah, definitely. Um... For for a start, it was an entertaining game of rugby. That's that's always a bonus. But um, y- you had two teams that executed really well for pretty much everything that they did, and that's that's always nice to see. I mean, it's um, we we could spend probably an hour talking about some of the the dross on Saturday with poor execution and poor skills and really high scoring games as a result. And ultimately, that's not what we're here for. Um, it was great. It was a great rugby match and also it was really good to see pitting of the two different styles against each other and fairly similar to Sunday's game. But you've got the the kind of free-flowing, keep-the-ball-alive, less-pattern-orientated approach of Bristol 
and then you've got the the Exeter, who uh, they they play to a pattern. They're very well drilled. Um, I mean, ultimately, their their first try came off the back of um, uh, a set play, uh, but equally they can be quite fluid and expansive, particularly on turnover ball or on kick returns. Um, but you got the two contrasting styles, and it just led to a really entertaining match. Um, and I think that's that's really the key point. That and the fact that Exeter won the two key points. Doug, what were your thoughts on uh, on Bristol Exeter Friday night? You don't really. There's not not a lot more to say than it was the two best teams both 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 going at it, and uh, it was a great game. Um, Andy Uren, I thought had a pretty good game. Is usually why, why is he not talked about in any kind of international? What that's is Andy well, here in English? Before you were about to interrupt me, before you interrupted me, I was about to say because he's usually good for a calamity or two a game. Is, is he though? <laughs> he's a bit, I, I he's he's a bit of a liability, Russ. He's a bit of a um, who was the old? It was it Cook, the old Bath scrum. Oh, house, yeah, yeah, who looked like he should have been brilliant, but actually, um. Was just a trappy um, gobshite who um, put seventy five percent of his box kicks into the third row of the stand. Um, uh, Andy Uren is is the, not not on that level, but he's good for a knock on at a critical moment from the base of a ruck, or you know, passing the ball ten feet over someone's head. But I thought he was pretty pretty good. Um. It seemed to me like Exeter had the majority of that game, though, and had it fairly well in hand. And anyone that says, "Oh, well, Bristol were this and that," they were missing these people. Like every 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 team misses players. You know, there's 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 people that are out at Saints that we could do with. Um, I don't. I just don't think in rugby it's a valid argument because everyone suffers injuries. Um, Exeter. I don't think the, it's a valid the one argument. thing I think will happen though is if these two do meet in a final, there will be an adjustment from Exeter, uh, from Bristol, because that coaching setup is good enough to be able to do that. And what do you think that adjustment will be then? Because if you look be at the, harder, be harder. In yeah. in what respect? In in the in in the respect of, I think there has to be a bit more pragmatism from Bristol. They have they have to potentially realize that while they do have a great system and and it's good for 90 percent of teams that they'll face it's not good enough against the big teams that can outmuscle them and deny them the ball and the space that they need um and i think that they may have to play a slight or, or play a slightly more aggressive game and and a slightly more pragmatic game it's it's interesting I... you say that sorry phil like in the last three weeks uh, was it Bordeaux that beat Bristol by kind of allowing them to make their own mistakes and turn them over when they got themselves isolated? And I think there's a lot of premiership clubs that haven't got the skill or the ability to either keep up with Bristol when they're throwing it about and or isolate them properly, which Exeter absolutely did. I mean, Bordeaux did it a few weeks ago when they when they beat them in the in the Champions Cup. But Exeter did that 
and there was there was a spell during the game that that there were turnovers going left, right, and center, and it all came through really, really good counter rucking, but proper rucking, like through the middle, drive over the ball, look at an opportunity, and seize the opportunity to drive through the ball. Do you think, Phil, a lot of teams are not scared, but like don't utilize that tactic when they see the opportunity. Cause how often do you see teams drive the opposition off the ball on a full counter ruck? I reckon we've seen as many pure counter rucks in that game on Friday night as, as I've seen for the last six months. Yeah. So Exeter never really had a jackler. They, uh, even when they had, um, uh, what's his name there? Matt Kvesic. Can play that role really well. He wasn't allowed to play that role because it didn't really suit their system. Their system isn't based on jackling. Well, if you if you take a jackler out of the equation, you've then only got two options. One is you let them have the the, the ball, or the other one is you go for the counter rock. And what Exeter did, a gr- they've always been really good at not overcommitting um, to to those um, to those rocks. As soon as that ball's down generally there's there's the tackler involved and that's it and everybody else is on their feet which is why their defense is so hard to break down um but they 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 do seem to have be building this kind of counter rocking game in, into it a bit more um and certainly as teams when when they learn that you're going to step off and you're not necessarily going to jackal they'll then undercommit to to securing that ball as well and they'll only stick one uh, one pair of hands in and two or three people like Jacques Vermeulen hitting one person over the ball, they're going to clear them out every time. Um, the the jackals that did come in that game, pretty much all of them came from Dan Thomas, who I think is a phenomenal athlete and a, and a really great flanker. Um, but actually, if you... I went super posh there with my butt as well. Uh, actually, if you look at the difference between the two teams, Doug's highlighted it perfectly, actually. It wasn't that Bristol's defence was poor necessarily. Um, the back row put in a hell of a lot of good work, some good tackles. The three tries that Exeter scored, they came from a from a turnover, from a good bit of back play, and then two of them from grinding it up from about five yards out. And they'll score tries like that all day long. But they only scored 20 points. The difference is that Bristol only scored 12 because their attack weren't allowed the space to proliferate because Exeter are not over committing and then when they do commit they get the turnover i don't yeah. think I, I don't think i saw it once where extra tried to counter ruck and weren't successful and that's no. the key key to it is identifying your opportunities yeah well there's it's pointless trying to counter ruck if you're not going to be successful because you're going to commit men to a breakdown that will undoubtedly leave space elsewhere i mean if you look at that year-end try Bristol ran that ball from a tur- from a um, a turnover on set piece ball from Exeter, and basically went the length of the field. Piatau, um, Adi Loken, who I thought for the most part this season I've been quite impressed with that Adi Loken, and I know he's been in and out with um, Nualago, who has been their their main guy, but I thought Jack Noel. Other than that, maybe that one period in passage of play played him perfectly. Off. Played him off. Just the pit. literally played him off the park. And that's where you look at the 
where maybe someone like Nualago for Bristol would have made a difference because Tom O'Flaherty doesn't strike me. When you look at him, he looks like your stereotypical uh, jinky winger, your your elusive winger. But yards, the yards after contact that him and Noel consistently made on Friday night. And Tommy Tommy Flaherty does that a lot. I don't know whether he deceives people, whether people underestimate him, but I mean, the amount of of yards he gains through the tackle is absolutely phenomenal. And, you know, you see a lot of wingers, they they take that that initial contact and and they go immediately to ground. It's not what it's not what Exeter do. And that can't be an exclusive thing to Exeter, but it's it's puzzling like whether people underestimate him because he's been around long enough now for people to know what it is he's trying to achieve. And even when think he's, he's fairly strong in the contact, I think that's all it is, that you get some of these guys, like I suppose Louis Rees-Samick can be a bit like it, Caden Murley, people like that, where they get a bit of contact and they drop and they're just not physically strong enough in that contact. And I think he's just that bit stockier and, and stronger. Um, but yeah, I suppose just, just to finish my point about the how, how well Exeter defended them off the park, got Piers O'Connor, who's who's been phenomenal all season. I, I actually can't remember hearing his name in commentary. He was, he was shepherded out of the game. The ball never really got to him. Yeah, they made, they missed him out a lot, and he did make some sort of not line breaks, but he did make some some good punching holes. But you know that first half really belonged to Sam Simmons, didn't it? In front of Warren Gatland in the stands, I still I'm not convinced that he you know as a as a Lions tourist maybe definitely not a Test match player, um, but no. Sam Simmons, the acceleration, they they put Ugo Monia. Did you see where Ugo Monia tried to put the um Sam Simmons miles per hour on the on the, the coverage? And he said, Oh, we got up to 21 miles per hour, wherever it was, and this is a number eight. I know I've said this before, and I'm not the only one to say it. Sam Simmons could be the ultimate 12. Yeah. Could couldn't he like is there, is there a part of it that's kind of stifled in the back row when it comes to picking and going because he's not got the Vanapola or Hughes or Vermeulen and that's um, Dwayne rather than Jack? Like the, that, that ability to carry hard first up. Imagine him coming off of that 12 channel, a bit like uh, a fast Esther Hazen. Is is he fast enough laterally to defend a twelve channel at set piece? Though, oh, I undoubtedly, I because that's I where think I think it falls down. I don't think it's as easy as that, Russ. I think Doug's absolutely right. You reckon? You think he can't move sideways to a point where he's going to make a tackle? Yet he's a back row forward that can. No, but it's not, it's not just about the moving sideways, is it? it, it it's about. The, the the knowledge of the you you can't just say you know it, it, it's why um it's about relationships isn't it yeah but it's 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 why um mate boy the rugby league player Tompkins not Tompkins no. um, Burgess you know Burgess. Burgess yeah 
it's why he was able to you can you can tell an out and out athlete the size of Sam Burgess to go and chase the ball around the park and try and win it at Jackals and carry hard. But you can't put him in at twelve and say, Right, just carry hard, mate, because twelve's you know, the hardest position on the field defensively. So correct. If you but don't I think, have a Do you not think though, just to counter what you're saying there, obviously with, with Sam Burgess it was a completely different kettle of fish because he was coming from a different sport entirely. I think the the rugby intelligence that Sam Simmons has would enable him with enough minutes, enough training sessions and stuff to play that role. Based let's, on, based on the fact not, he's played rugby union. Do you not think let's, if that let's was a goer, Rob Baxter might have thought of it? Uh, Rob, I mean, they've Rob got Baxter. a pretty good. They've got. <laughs> well, that's that's true, but they've they've still they've you know they've got arguably the most underrated twelve in the Premiership. I think. I think if I think if Sam if Sam Simmons is twenty one and Exeter don't have the right kind of player to play twelve, or even Sam Simmons is nineteen, then they might have a word and go. Give this a go and see what you think. I wouldn't want to stick him in now. Um, in fact, I'd come into Russ's point as in, does he miss a bit with that hot, kind of whole hard first up carry? I could see him if you've got somebody like, uh, probably somebody like a, a Falatau. I wouldn't want somebody who's, or, or a super fit Billy, but not a Billy as he currently is. Maybe somebody like a CJ Stander. I could see him playing six with them and then a, a really mobile seven. Um, I wouldn't want to stick him in the centres necessarily, but I do think that there's a bit, he gets away with quite a lot at eight because he's got, for Exeter, because he's got some absolute units on the flank. And that's, but it's not, they're not just on the flank, are they? Like Johnny, Johnny Hill and Johnny Gray, Sam Skinner played at six on, on Friday night. And then you would have, um, Got for Mullen, you Dave, you was, I mean, you got, I'm going to come on to Jacques Vermeulen in a minute. Right, like so Janice cursed. If it was a, if it was a game that was the the level of rugby that we played at, you could put a really good eight at twelve, and yeah. he's he's going to boss it because he's going to carry through their defence. Probably got good enough ball ball skills to get away with it. Your brother, your brother is a prime example of that. Yeah, could could easily play twelve at the level he can play. Does he still does he still listen? Because I don't want him listening to that. <laughs> you could, um, I don't. You think can he do does, to be honest. But, a good but, a good eight or a good six and a good twelve are pretty much uh, interchangeable up to national one, national uh, two. Yeah, up up to professionalism. Once you get to professionalism, then it, it just isn't. It isn't possible. There are you, you could get away with at lower level rugby a twelve that just crashes up every time, and and up up to a certain point that will work if he's good enough at crashing it up. But if you look at any international side, you don't have that type of twelve but, anymore. But, they have to get, they so, have to pass, they have to defend. You got Pastro that went the other way. Yeah. I suppose. Yeah. I suppose my point is though, Ben is that that isn't Simmons' game. He isn't just a straight-running crash ball eight, like that you you would think, oh, well, we'll just stick him in there and he will just punch holes. He find, he runs at gaps as opposed to a lot of forwards that run at people. I, I and he's got the he's pace got, to do that. 
I think he's got the skills. I think he's got the the rugby awareness. I think what he doesn't have is the experience. I think yeah. it would take it would take him too long. It would take him eighteen months probably to get to that position where you'd see the best of him. And rugby careers are too short to do, do that. Do you not think it would take longer than that? Do you not think it would take four four or five years? Uh, I think at eighteen months he would make fewer mistakes. I think at eighteen months he would do he would do. I wouldn't say he'd be perfect. I don't know. I've not been in a professional rugby environment for long enough yeah. to to know. I, I I think the Sam Simmons bandwagon is is over the top. Anyway, I mean, I think he's a fantastic player, but I I don't think he makes the England back row. Never mind a Lions back row. You know, you'd you'd have to leave to take Simmons. You would have to leave someone like Tipperich behind and that that just won't that's just not going to happen but by the time you take I Simmons... think Simmons Simmons's biggest weakness is he doesn't fit into a traditional yeah. shoehorn of a position of a butter. and that's and that's the problem when when you look at it I mean you've you've even got you've just got to put it against that Leinster back row of who was it Conan Van der Fleer and Ruddock on that day a couple of weeks ago and, and Simmons looked anonymous. And, and by no means am I am I crashing the Simmons for the Lions bandwagon. I just think, you know, it, it, what he does, what he does is is different to what a lot of other people do, which is probably why Eddie, Eddie Jones doesn't pick him because Exeter play with two big flankers. It allows him to to do less of the grunt work, should we say, and pop up in these spaces, and and that is that you know that is game that is game plan specific, isn't it? But you know, it's it's taken away from like Friday night, which was you know the the try that um, O'Flaherty scored off the back of that Simmons break, which was first phase ball ball off a line out. And you've got to question Bristol's defence a little bit there, haven't you? I mean, Bedlo, I think Bedlow bit in on Devoto or Slade and Simmons came round the back. And in that situation, when you've got Devoto, Slade and Simmons and an equal number of defenders, you you know you're going to be in trouble straight away, don't you, Phil? No, okay, no problem. You you picked on me because you could see that I was busy texting. Yes, um, exactly. Damn you! And and that um, you watched it. Yeah, yeah thanks. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I I don't know. It's it's one of those things where we could ultimately criticise every single little thing that was done slightly wrong. Um, so I think it was a flatty, uh, overcommitted. For, for urine and didn't make the tackle and then allowed him to get back to his feet and keep going forward to score the try. Um, I just, yeah, let's go back to what we originally said. It was the two best teams playing well. Um, it was a cracking game of rugby. Bristol, I think, are a long way along the journey that they're going to come along. But when they come up against tough sides, and really tough sides, um, and I think it's really quite hard to... Uh, overemphasize how tough Exeter are to play against. I mean, having chatted to some of the um, Saracens guys after they put, they came down to the Chiefs a couple of seasons ago, 
they were they were broken people afterwards. Um, and Bristol do have a weakness when they come up against these really tough sides. So I was just about I think, to say they are going to get a reputation for being soft if they don't get a, a win yeah, in one not, of these games. Not not soft like Worcester soft, but no, soft. But yeah, flat flat track bullies. Yeah, could, I think could could Bristol be currently construed as flat track bullies until until they? I mean, they beat Exeter a couple of seasons ago at Sunday Park, didn't they? They they have beaten. They, the they strike to... me as 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 like wasps of old, wasps of the sort of um, Cipriani era, in that on a given day they would, you know, if 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 everything went that way, their way, they can they can beat you and score some sort of world class tries. But if you keep your act together and sort of punch them in the gut, then they they don't quite have the substance yet. I think. Um, I think there are, in that regard, I think there are a lot of parallels actually with the Wasps game, um, in that it was it was a team playing more controlled, more physical rugby against one player more free flowing. The problem was that in that game, the execution from the the more controlled side wasn't quite so good, plus the refereeing decision that I'm sure we'll come on to. Yeah, I mean, if you remember um, when Exeter sort of pushed their way into being the the sort of second best team in the country. There was a, a perhaps two or three year period where every time they played Saracens, they got whacked. Yeah. And I think that's where Bristol are at the moment. I, I mentioned uh, Lloyd had sort of given me a quick summary of the game and that's his point as well. They're three years away from coming up. They've probably still got a couple of years to go before sort of everything sort of bears fruit. Um, you know, he, he, he was of the opinion that Bristol kind of, their line out failed and their, their sort of, uh, ruck defence failed, so they they sort of gave Exeter a way in. But I guess that is partly to do with a little bit of inexperience in big games, and partly to do with the fact that Exeter beat them up a little bit. Yeah, and there was a there was a, a real thing around discipline, wasn't there, in that first half? Exeter didn't concede a penalty in that first half, which, in the grand scheme of things, is massive. And you don't see many teams in any half of rugby not concede a single penalty. And that would have made it, you know, you don't concede penalties, you, then you don't concede territory. You don't concede territory, you're not necessarily under pressure. And then they made Bristol do everything from deep. And they made them, they made them try to run everything and they managed to stifle it. And, you know, Bristol have, have, far, have shown themselves to be a very good team, even like the catch and drive you know, they they uh, their catch and drive game, and you look at Capon and and Brian Byrne. They've probably got as many tries as any other Bristol player this season through that catch and drive game. But Exeter didn't give; they literally didn't give them anything. And what I thought Exeter did on on Friday, without sort of seeming to to have any Exeter sort of bias, which is obviously going to be, is I thought Exeter gave Bristol a little bit of a lesson. On Friday, just a, a lesson in, in potentially control and how to win a game of rugby rather than, you know, you're not just going to fling it about and, and run it all over us. When you isolate yourselves, we're going to counter ruck you. When you try and keep it close, we're going to we're going to front up and we're going to and we're going to knock you back. And everything Bristol tried literally kind of fell away. 
And and that to me is is game management. Now, you know, as we've already mentioned, these are the best two teams in the in the in the league. And bar you know, bar a freak result, bar a, a poor result for either of these teams in a in a home semi-final, you know, we could be seeing both these teams it, it twicking them at, at the end of June in the in the premiership final. Doug? Yeah. So <laughs> I love about this. So I love about this podcast is that you can you know you can ask a question or you can just fling a name out and just get a uh, a one word answer. <laughs> I mean, what would I, I already said that? All right. Well, it's fine. Should we move yeah, on? Work then? on work on your presentation, son. All right, Ben. <laughs> have you got any advice? Uh, it would take a minor man? miracle for anyone to beat him. Yeah, either of them. They're both gonna they're both gonna be at home in the semi-finals and it will take a monumental effort from whoever plays against them in the semi-finals, which is probably a more interesting chat than any other chat in the premiership right now, isn't it? Because like there are a few teams all vying for, for those for those two spots. Yeah, but look at the teams that are vying for those spots. It's Northampton, Harlequins and Sale. And Sailor, um, you remember Crocodile Northern. Dundee? Yeah. Like remember a South Donk? African version of that. Do you remember Donk from Crocodile Dundee? <laughs> I, yeah. don't, I don't. I don't, yes. I don't need a gun, mate. Yeah. I've got a Donk. And it's just this massive, massive Australian moron who just smacks the Colombian guy in the face. <laughs> that, that's Sale. That's Sale. They have, they have no, that you know, Bristol and Mick Dundee. Um, no. So Sailor Donk, um, and then Bristol would be like, who? Uh, who's the you know the the Aborigine guy that helps Mick out because he's got loads of tricks, quite wiry, you know, and then. Um, I think that Exeter and Mick Dundee, because they can do everything well, they come from quite far away. And then Northampton are uh, Wally. And um, and Worcester are the cow that lies down in the middle of the road. Yeah. <laughs> when, he, when he walks up to it and he goes, gets it to lie down. Exactly. I, we, Chris we said Boyd this could actually start, be. We said it at the start of last season. For player welfare, let's just sack off all the other games and just play extra against Saracens at Twickenham. We uh, did say that. It. Yeah. It, there's no point in playing these semi-finals. Whoever gets whoever gets through to play extra in Bristol are gonna have they're gonna have one up the chutney with no goose fat, aren't they? One up the chutney with no goose fat. Loved it. Love it. Um, Doug, you were at one of your favourite places on Saturday. Let's move on swiftly. Um, I know you're a big fan of of Worcester and all that they come to stand for this season. Um, but they did put up a bit of a fight on Saturday, did they not? Was it not strange to see from your yeah, experience this but, season? But again, like they put up a bit of a fight. Where's that been for the last six weeks? And they put up against a fight against a team who are so one-dimensional that it's practically laughable. 
they've sale I'm trying to trying to say this without you know that there is no nuance to sale they they literally well they've got a big pack of South African forwards and Van Rensburg at 12 he didn't good play. luck good sure. luck oh, did sure. he not no they they had um a young lad at 12 actually and uh, uh one of the James brothers Sam I think or was the young lad at 13? Either way, they basically just punch you in the face and then you either fall over and capitulate or you punch them back in the face. And And Worcester managed to keep punching them back long enough to stay in the game. It, the scoreline flattered Worcester, really, because they were down and out, basically, with 10 minutes to go. And then for some reason, Sale would score, kick off to Worcester, and Worcester would just run all the way back and score a try. Like, from nowhere. It... I don't like watching Sale. I think they're boring. I think they're... Well, you know what I think of their coach. Um, I, I think that they're making a mockery of the South African situation. They claim to have a world-class academy, but they're littered with imports and and um old timers worcester are fundamentally a joke and it's a shame i can't remember if because we didn't podcast last week i can't did i say did i send a text message that said that basically worcester are london welsh worse yes, than you london did. Welsh. sorry uh, you you did and you put it in the um in the Twitter group as well, but yes. Yeah, and app- apparently Egg Chasers have pissed on my chips there and nicked it before I got it out on. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, before you got it into the wider audience, but... Yeah, and it's a fact. They are the worst team I've ever seen in the Premiership. Far none. And... I don't know about you, lads, but I'm getting really annoyed with management speak coaches turning up at um, interviews at the end of games t- talking about journeys and introspection and how it's not you know there's more to life than rugby no there, when you're a DOR of a premiership rugby club there should not be more to life than rugby it's your one thing that you need to do do it well and we've we've been pretty critical of um, Stuart Hooper over the last 18 months or so to be fair to him he's been pretty critical of himself and of the performances as well um and he's relatively refreshing that he comes out with a lot less management speak than a lot of them but you're right they come up and they they, it's becoming a bit kind of football premier premier league management it's just also contrived isn't it yeah um on the on the sale point um they have signed just signed that uh, young English centre who's quite fleet of foot and not known for smashing up the middle. Uh, re-signed him. He was there on loan, wasn't he? That um, to a Langy chap <laughs> who's going to going to really change their uh, their mould, isn't he? When if and when he ever gets fit and plays more than three games on the bounce. Exactly. Um, what do you think? What do we think about this Worcester Wasps thing? So, yeah. um, wasps. Well, we don't. Whichever weekend it is, twenty fifth of May or something like that, or sixteenth of May, fifteenth, sixteenth of May, and they're supposed to be playing on the fifteenth. Um, and on the seventeenth, crowds are allowed in. So, wasps have requested to push it back a week into what would be a rest week. 
and Worcester have said no because it's important that the players have scheduled rests, even although they're not, they can't really do anything in that week. Um, so the rest of their season goes two games rest week, three games, and instead we'll go three games rest week, two games. I just think it's bullshit that in the, if you can delay a game, I see the the Bristol game at home and uh, is it Sale at home that weekend. Have been delayed. They've been delayed to the Monday evening anyway, which is the yeah, Monday Newcastle that have switched to Newcastle. That's it. That fans, so fans can be allowed in. Now, if you were scheduled to be playing on the Friday night following, I don't, I don't know what the schedule looks like for that next week. Oh, it's, Euro- it's European. It's, it's European so, final. Weekend. So, uh, well, Bath and Leicester and the only people that would be potentially impacted by that. Why, you know, why wouldn't anybody, any club ever agree to move to a Monday and allow fans in any stadium? It speaks to a wider issue for me in that the sort of rigidity and lack of forward thinking among these clubs has, has been stark over the last year. In a time when they could have saturated the market with Premiership Rugby, they've stuck to the status quo and played games on Saturday at three o'clock. You look at the Premiership, they've got four games on a Saturday, four games on a Sunday. They're staggered kickoff so that you can watch every single one. Why, why are the Premiership playing three games at three o'clock on a Saturday? when literally nobody can go to these games. You could have the eyes of every single Premiership Rugby fan glued to a screen for seven hours a day. And and also behind the fucking red button on BT Sport. Because let's, let's not forget, Bristol refused to move a kickoff time with Newcastle because Pat Lamb thought it would affect the players. You know, th- th- there's just a stunning lack of thought. I mean... You've taken season ticket money off people. You've you've asked people to buy new replica kits. You've done X, Y, Z. We'll get on to replica kits, by the way. Um, it's just... The naivety is just mind-boggling. We, we could have been I playing games... I don't think it's naivety, mate. We, we could have been playing games two on a Thursday, two on a Friday, two on a Saturday, or two Friday, two Saturday, two Sunday, five and seven o'clock kickoffs, or three and five o'clock kickoffs. But instead, we've got three games on a Saturday. You've got to pick which one you want to watch. It's it's bonkers. And well, what, sadly, it, it's not um, surprising. What What gives you any indication that anybody associated with um, Premiership Rugby or the RFU actually has an idea about what the common person thinks about. Yeah, I mean, look, why they've, they've why, proven why they've the proven Premiership time and allowing, time again? Why are the Premiership allowing Worcester to say no? Tell exactly. Them. It's it's happened time and time again. The Premiership have just shown that they do not understand that they are an entertainment business and that entertainment relies upon having a public who are willing to to pay the money and get engaged. I mean, there was a, um, there was a, 
a thread on Twitter about football um, with the whole European Super League thing um, and saying, because the, the chap from Real Madrid uh, has come out and said that 16 to 24 year olds don't want to, don't want to come and watch football. They'd rather play Fortnite or whatever. Um, and this chap's gone out and said, well, when I was 18, I used to watch a couple of football matches a week and I did because they were on telly and now they're behind paywalls I don't 16 to 24 year olds don't get to watch it well that's one stage you take it to the next stage and you stick all the games on the middle of the afternoon on a Saturday when people are out doing stuff and nobody's going to want to watch them and they're the people in 10 years time who will be paying your subscriptions and they're not going to because they're, they're being engaged in football or something else because there is visibility of it. I mean, it's it's just an ultimate kind of smash your head against the wall kind of moment. I mean, all they be could have 100, had hundred ball cricket. There's there's six games a week. They could have those games Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and just with a bit of clever scheduling so that nobody's ever got shorter than a six day turnaround or five-day turnaround, sometimes it's a bit longer, they could have a game on every evening if they wanted. But well, they that's, what, that's what Premier League football did, isn't it? Yes, yeah, there's it a difference in turnaround. Premiership rugby and, and the RFU want the Premiership to be... that. Like Their, their holy grail is the NFL. It's this ring-fence competition where money just gets shit through TVs into their faces and they buy luxury suites and, and huge stands and, and God knows what else. Um, unfortunately, what they don't under- seem to understand, at least, is that the reason the NFL is like that is because the NFL tells them what the fuck they're going to do. Now, it's all set up for the owners, but the NFL controls the product. And if they say we're having games on a Thursday night, fuck me, we're having games on a Thursday night. They don't get Alan Solomon saying, ah. Oh, some of the players have booked holidays. Where, by the way, because that's one of the big arguments on Twitter that I've seen. All these players have got holidays booked and they're going to go and see their families. Do you know what? Go and see your family on Tuesday. Because you're not going on holiday because no cunt's going on holiday. Go on holiday and come back, spend two weeks in isolation and miss the end of the season. I don't think you'll find a rugby fan in the land that would be pissed off if there were games... On... Can I shock you? Go on. Check Twitter. <laughs> well, uh, like here, here's he said rugby fans. Rugby fans. If there was a game, if there was a Premiership game of rugby on a Thursday night, a Friday night, two on a Saturday, and two, uh, one on a Sunday, and one on a Monday night, there would be no objections. That's what's that? Six to six games. There's your twelve teams. They've got six games. Everyone live prime time. In a slot with a 7:45 kickoff, fan when the fans can go back, that's after work as well, so people Mate, can go after got work. Six games a week. Six that's games it. A week. Six games, and you can schedule it so you're not going to be playing on a Thursday, and then you know, or you play on a Thursday, or you wouldn't play on a Monday, and then on a Thursday, you know, you could stagger the scheduling. It, it's not difficult to do. How how the club can be so short-sighted to their audience because and from what i understand no away fans are allowed which is why a mitigating factor as to why Worcester have said no but so what man it's like 
do the right thing. Do yeah. the right thing and let some people watch some rugby. Do the right thing for everybody, not just yeah. you, because you're an absolute they, shit show. Are they worried that 2,000 fans in the Rico are going to add a massive atmosphere? 30,000 fans in the Rico add no atmosphere. Most soulless rugby stadium. You ain't gonna is. get. You ain't gonna get thirty thousand fans for a wasp game as long as you've got a hole in your ass. Well, I was gonna say, I'd have to be bedridden to watch that game on the television. So <laughs> I'm, I'm not really that fussed what day they play it on. It just like what the what they what I don't understand is that it's the bloody mindedness. It's like well. It's, I bet you if that was a Worcester home game against Wasps, they'd be all over it like a fucking truck playing, playing devil's advocate, if you had games on a Thursday and games on a Monday, bearing in mind two teams would play on each of those days, would it make scheduling that difficult? You don't need to do it on a, no. on a Monday and Thursday. No, I, I this, think is, this would be a one-off. Three, three on a Saturday, like in the Six Nations. Would yeah, make and you just do, you do two, four and six o'clock kickoffs. But they could do that every week. Yeah. Of course they could. Or or if they were well, yeah, a game on a Friday night, three games on a Saturday, and two staggered on a Sunday. Yeah. Away you go. No problem. All games yep. televised. None of it behind the fucking red button where you've got to search three red button options and choose between games. What's the point? Just have every single game. Like if BT well, there's bandwidth issues for that because BT's a, a, a run run BT TV's run on in, down the internet, isn't it? So there's, I think there's um there's only so many live feeds that they can send out on their bandwidth. Yeah, but if they add the channel, if they, instead of showing Who's fucking BT, instead who own of, the internet in this country, but <laughs> yeah, but you, they wouldn't need to because they'd the, be on one after another, so you could have them the, on the same channel. That, yeah. That's my that's my point. The BT Sport have got three channels. So instead of showing fucking German football or reruns of MotoGP on BT Sport 3, why not make Sunday <laughs> afternoon fucking Premiership Rugby afternoon, Saturday afternoon, BT Look, Sport when, 3 when, Premiership? When Sky had the Premiership and, and, and the European Cup, especially European Cup weekends, there'd be a Challenge Cup on a Thursday and then you'd have four games. There'd be Challenge Cup Thursday, there'd be at least one game on a Friday night, probably one on the red button as well. And then you'd have four games Saturday and four games Sunday, every every round of the uh, every round of the championship, at uh, the European Cup. And I think the Premiership was Saturday Sunday, a game each. But that was back in the day before BT came in and did the three games a week thing. Um, they're never going to sort their shit out. Then ne- it's just never going to happen. It could the product could be so much better than it is. But it's just uh, never going to happen. It's CVC, Premiership Rugby, PRL. Mate, it's not that. It's not the TV companies. It's not the media department at Prem Rugby. It's the self-serving nature of the teams that is blocking this. It's the because... fact that Premiership Rugby is owned in the majority by the teams and not by uh, not by a central organisation that has a has a, um, a role um, to play um, in the, one bigger, of the, main... the bigger picture. And one of yeah. the major teams that's involved, and I suppose that's been the problem all along, isn't it? That of the 12 teams in the Premiership, there's always one that's in the Championship. So there's 13 teams that are all part of the Premiership, and one of them always isn't in it. 
Well, I think Doug hit on it. They're looking at the NFL and the money the NFL makes as a TV company and as owners of businesses, and they're going, we could be that, but they couldn't because we're not America and we have football and angling and various other things that people like to do more than rugby. It's a niche is a bit strong, but it's not it's not the number one sport in this country and it never will be. Uh, the, the, the other problem they have is that reruns of MotoGP and, and German football get more viewers live than Premiership Rugby. Which is fucking mental, isn't it? But really. that that is because the game isn't marketed correctly. Yeah, because, it's because it's it, also it's, because the game's it's a chicken and egg general. thing, though, isn't it? Is it not a chicken and egg scenario where they don't they don't have all the games live and on the mainstream channels? So until they do, they don't really know. It's also because the games are on at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. It's very rare that three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon I go. I'm going to go and watch telly. Seven o'clock on a Saturday evening, probably am thinking that. I don't know. I just think, and actually, if you look at rugby as a sport, most people who are 20 to 30 like rugby at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon will be on the pitch. Or exactly. We've said that so many times. But it, it's just, I don't know. It, is it an old men in suits thing? Is it people who think that it's that you know they've grown the league to what it is now so they must be doing something right i mean i maybe they should rename tries to dot downs and uh <laughs> invite a different audience uh, yeah. rename tries to goals tmo to var and they might get they might be on something i don't <laughs> want to talk about var i don't want to mention it because var <laughs> actually isn't that bad it's the absolute fucking monumental spunk buckets that are operating it it's a it's a fucking camera it can't be that it's, mate. Not, it's not even that the monumental spunk buckets that are operating it mate are 18 year old kids that wear their university cricket shorts to ob's i've seen them all mate yeah no no not even the, not the operators it's it's the fact that you've got a premier league referee unless i mean i don't even know all their names but let's say john moss because i know his name John Moss is the referee on the pitch. And then you've got one of his good mates, Andre Mariner, who is also another Premier League referee um, on the VAR, who doesn't want to make John Moss look like a cunt. So instead of arriving at the correct decision, he just backs up his mate that's already made a shit decision. And then Apart all of a that sudden... Spurs game though, right? Which one? The Man United I mean, the whole one. thing. With the goal that was disallowed. Because, oh, mate, it's uh... fucking ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. But that's the point, right? The VAR wasn't at fault, right? The 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 video stuff should never have even been brought into that particular scenario. But the guy who was the video assistant referee, the person behind the technology says, oh, I think you should have a look at that. And then the other person who was in charge had a look at it and went, oh, yeah, that looks a little bit handy to the face. Let's blow it up. That's two people making a decision that should never have been made. That's not and the technology's we, fault. That's the people's fault. And, and that is the problem. Batter, it's the people. If we're going to batter VAR as well, they, they draw lines with a level of accuracy of up to 0.01 of a millimetre based on, based on cameras that are not directly perpendicular to what they're trying to see. And the level of accuracy with which they draw the lines 
is far higher than the level of accuracy that can actually be achieved. It's, bullshit. No, I, I it's, don't wanna, it's a I, fucking joke. I don't absolute joke. It. I don't want to get into it because it makes yeah. me angry and and it's worse. And at least with we with rugby, you know, again we've had this decision, um, this discussion many times where you have touch judges getting involved with some referees and not others. You have some the um, TMOs whispering over over the waves while the match is going on and others you don't hear from until they're implicitly asked. Like, this should be a standard. It should be an absolute standard, like, set procedure where everybody follows. So you don't have row and kit just chiming in to fucking loop in. I, I don't it's, think it's worse when it's a... made a decision in the match. I don't think he made a single decision. His touch judges and the TMO made every single one of them. All he was there to do was to to repeat what they'd said. Yeah. It's when touch judges touch judges um who are actually official referees. You know, so when you get like Craig Maxwell Keys on touch on the touchline. Uh Busy yes, yes. Uh blue, blue, blue. Oh f- Craig, fuck off, mate. <laughs> Shut up. Busy, busy yeah. cut. Yeah. They're all official references. Anyway, right, we we've we've gone we got to an hour. We haven't even got to Bath Wasps. I'm not even entirely sure what we've talked about for the last forty five minutes. Well, I um, watched the highlights of that four hundred times and I still couldn't see what the guy got sent off for. Oh a bar no. Yeah, let's 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 talk about it then. Well, ben Ben, you're a Bath fan. You you should come in here. Um first of all, what did you think about the game? I didn't see it, but what did you um, think about it it from what I've heard, it wasn't as good a game as Exeter against uh, uh, Bristol. Um, but it wouldn't be. There's two shit teams. Yeah, well, fair enough. Um, <laughs> they, I thought Wasps had far, by far the better of the first half. Bath probably had the better of the second half. Wasps scored a, a couple of really good tries. Uh, but Bath kind of started to get the measure of them and, and were, were beating them up front. They're a bit extra like getting close to the line and scoring. Um, and then, well, the red card kind of ended the game, really, because, you know, it was inevitable then that Wasp were going to score. Um, right. I, I'm just going to leave this here. OK, right. I understand the concept that under the modern laws that that is a red card or it's running the risk of a red card. But I can't. The rugby person in me just doesn't think it should be a red card. So it's not the referee's fault they, or the video referee's fault that they've had to send him off. Because, But he's just got a tackle wrong and they've clashed heads. And I, it's just an accident. And I, I just don't see what we're gaining from that. Because so I, the deterrent I, of I the nine, red card surely is to stop him doing it on purpose. Not So I, so I 95% agree with you. What they would say is the whole deterrent, it's, it's to try and get them to bend more at the hips and get their heads lower so that they're not at the head area. But that's horseshit as far as I'm concerned. The bit where I, where I disagree with you is I actually don't think the refs got it right in terms of Ian Tempest very quickly went, OK, I've got head on head and it's with force. Was it really with force? Did Abano put force into that collision? Well... He was he was hardly moving at speed, and he didn't move his head forwards into it. It was a ricochet off the the initial hit, very similar mm. to the the Thorley one, which was a, it was a ricochet that then led to a head to head collision. Now, to me, that should be enough mitigation. It should drop down to a yellow. Um, but yeah, it's just 
it's just not what you want rugby to be about. Because I actually, I actually think it was a really good game. I really enjoyed watching it as a game. I, it was I think a... the second half was a lot better than the first first half. I thought the first half was a little bit mistake ridden, but uh, I, and I, I think I think Tempest didn't understand anything about what was going on in the scrum, so he just went two to Wasp, then two to Bath on the penalties. Um, but it it ruined it as a game. I think they're. I mean, they're just looking for red cards now. Do you reckon they're on a bonus? I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, if it had been a yellow card at that point of the game, it has the same result um, in terms of the 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 result of the match. Um, it seems which, like there's so many there's so many um, bullet points. Yes. Now within the framework, that lovely word, that essentially mean you've got to do so much not to get a red card. The, the actual surprise is when it's not. Yeah, you, you, you're relieved. And yeah, it, you, almost, you almost get to a point where you're like, right, I've seen 30, just send the bloke off now because this is r- ridiculous. It, it's refereeing by spreadsheet. Mm. You, you... Yeah, and uh, have, you, have you guys looked at the flowchart? No, yeah, I, re- I will never, ever look at a refereeing f- um, framework unless so... it's um, before I put it on a bonfire. So I think you should print it off, look at it, and then stick it on a bonfire. Um, <laughs> because actually there's enough there in terms of mitigation for the refs to go, you know what, yeah, this happened and that happened and that happened to allow you to downgrade it. The problem is I don't think the refs want to downgrade it. I think they've been given directives not to downgrade things. And it's almost to the point where, you're right. the The base level is head to head. You head to head with force. You start with the red, and then you see if you can mitigate it down. And I think that's slightly wrong. Um, but it should actually, go the other way, right? So you like if you're mitigating yeah, down as a head... starting point, you're already saying, well, that offence should be a red card. I've got to find yeah. a reason for it not to be. Whereas if you go head to head in a tackle, that's a yellow card. It's deliberate with force. We'll we'll mitigate it up to a red. That that to me would would be fine and would make sense. Um, I just think we're going to be in a situation where, actually, so what they want is they want players to hinge at the hips more and get lower. But what happens then? The ball carriers, they then hinge at the hips more and they get lower, so their heads at the same level as the tackling players' head, so they can carry on more force through. Otherwise, they're going to get chopped, and then you're going to get more head collisions. Or the players are going to go in upright and then they're going to be spear tackled and then they're, they're going to be penalties for something else. Or what will end up happening is the players go in upright, um, the, the tackler hinges more and you look you spend ages looking for the offload, which means that you then come in with a two-person tackle and the second person bounces up and hits the heads. They're, they're trying to legislate their way out of a situation that they shouldn't be trying to legislate their way out of. They should be looking at actually... What do we do when people get head knocks? Playing rugby is dangerous. Now, I've, um, I've, I've had some fairly negative thoughts about Alex Popham and the whole kind of CTE thing that's going on and we're going to sue the RFU. Actually, what they've come out with today is, is what they want to see is if you go off for an HIA, it's a minimum 21 days before you can play again. That I can 100% get behind. Let's accept the fact head knocks are going to happen, but you can't have a head knock and be back playing a match six days later. Because I suspect that 
that's what's causing these long-term issues isn't the fact that there's head knocks full stop. It's the fact that they're getting a head knock and then six days later getting another one and then six days later getting another one. You get them out for a decent period of rest and then they come back in. So if like everything's being changed to mitigate head injury, right? Why aren't mouth guards and head scrum caps, why aren't they mandatory? Mouth guards are. No, they're, they're not. not man, they're not mandatory. They're not. Carl Sinclair chews gum. Josh McNally told told us in an interview that he doesn't wear a mouth guard. Yeah, but I, I, I'd have to mouth, check the laws. Mouth, gu- mouth guards I, I are not were. mandatory. But um, but and uh, they are proven to reduce concussions scrum, and knockouts. But scrum well, mouth guards not, are. Scrum yeah. caps do not reduce concussions. They may, mouth they guards zero. do. But scrum caps do not. Scrum caps have zero effect on the on the incidence of concussions. Yeah, but you know what else is having zero effect on reducing concussions? All the shit law changes they keep making. Phil's absolutely right. They should be more sharp on getting players off. They should be more sharp on the aftercare. And I've said it a thousand times now, and I'm boring everyone, but they should get rid of games, play less games. But that isn't going to happen because it will cost money. And so will having players out for 28 days. Because if, if you are going to watch, um, or let's say, Bath play, and Underhill and Falatau are both out with concussions, then you might decide not to bother. Yeah. I, I always thought mouth guards were down to the same as shin pads in football, that actually it's in the law to say that you have to have them, but it's never enforced. Mate, it's incredible the amount of it. Once you know that players don't wear them, you see it. So many players don't wear them. Yeah, and they're yeah. Proven so it's, not, they're... it's not. It's not compulsory. It's just that they're permitted. It's proven that they reduce concussions, and and you tend you tend to, you know. I mean, um, in terms of the game. Um... Well, well, well brought back, Ben. <laughs> uh, thanks, man. Um, to be fair, we've been a li- quite critical of Umaga, but he was brilliant in this game. Um, was he? Well, he created two tries out of he almost was, nothing. He was brilliant with the ball. Yeah, but he didn't have a huge amount to do without the ball. I mean, he got pushed over the line by about three forwards, but then that would happen to most tens, wouldn't it? I thought I thought he played very well. Um, Miles Reed was outstanding for Bath. And I think he's been really good all season. He has been um, a real, really good all season. And when you look at the level of back row that Bath have got there in Falatau, Underhill, Bayliss, um, Mercer, Mercer, I think I mean, Miles Reed has been right up there as, as one of their I, best performers. Myself, I don't think there's a huge gap between Sam Simmons and Mercer. I think Mercer's that good. Um, yeah. But, you know, he's he's off. Um, I think Reed is a is a sort of classic six. Gets around, makes his tackles, um, good in support. Um, he can handle the ball. Yeah, so he can. Not, so he's not like a classic six in that. Well, you no. Know, I mean, he 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 made a try for Spencer, you know, with a support run and a good pass inside. Um, you know, not a surprise that Bath looked a lot better when Spencer came on. Um, you know, Wasps. I think Shields 
had a good game. Young got two tries. You know, it was, where it he was, played for England. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you know, he was a little bit unfairly maligned, I think. Um, but yeah, there was an injury for Launchbury, which didn't look great either. So Lee Blackett said that it's unlikely he'll be appearing in a wash shirt for a considerable period of time, which is a real shame. I other, other than in the stands watching. <laughs> but yeah, I think Bath had probably done enough to win that game up until the card, and you know he was always going to get at least a yellow. So you can't complain about the result too much, but you got a feel for the player going down as a red card. Well, I don't even know where we go from that. Well, it was... I, it's also a real shame because Barna had made a massive difference when he came on and was mm. playing fantastically. Good player. He is a good player. And, it's funny that that Bath front row were were dominating teams for long periods of long periods of time over the last couple of seasons. It looks like Chris, that Christian Judge has fallen right out of favour, isn't he? Yeah, he's I like mean, a, the uh, Worcester, isn't he? Is he going? Is he off to Worcester next season? Yeah. I heard somewhere that fucking Tyke Furlong was going to Worcester next season, but that has to be a joke, right? Ty Furlong needs a new contract, right? Yeah. But what other English players? Uh, so it wasn't um, Zebo linked with Worcester as well. Quite probably. That would seem more likely than um, Furlong. Well, he's gone it? back to Munster, but I think it's just a, a ploy Irish agents use, isn't it? We'll just say they're going to Worcester. So there's probably no one at Worcester that's checking this stuff out. They probably, bump, they, bump probably the don't have a, they probably don't even have a Twitter account. <laughs> Just fucking bump, bump Worcester into the mix. They'll have a few quid. They're, they're paying Chris Ashton for fuck's sake. Someone at Worcester probably said that there's Tom Furlong who plays for like, I don't know, Mosley or something. <laughs> yeah, we're signing that Tom Furlong. Do you mean Ty Furlong? Yeah, yeah, yeah same sure. one. Yeah, <laughs> where, does he, where does he play? He's, he's a he's a prop, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fine. Uh, props are they the big ones? <laughs> yeah, he's it, it, inside prop, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Right, um, right next, right next to the flyback. <laughs> uh, we we've managed to get to um, and nearly an hour, well, an hour and ten minutes, and. Uh, all we've done is whinge. We've done, you know, we've we've validated that review that we had for middle aged yeah, white much, guys yeah. hating on everything. Much more upbeat last week, wasn't it, Ben? Yeah, yeah I didn't we, like it. We talked about punching animals. <laughs> I didn't like it. Didn't like yeah, it. I, the thing is, last week we had a quite considerable section about animal cruelty, and it was still more upbeat than this this episode. <laughs> and we had some positive feedback from that. The, the positivity that came through on last week's podcast. And I think we now know, you know, where the, uh, where the demographic is that sits, that sits within this. I mean, can you imagine if Doug and I tried to have a chat, just the two of us? Jesus Christ. A um, couple of things before we go though, Russ, Saracens, obviously. But, oh, fuck Saracens. Fuck um, them. Pumped, <laughs> um, people saying, oh, this is what Ealing are going to be like. Mm, there's, 
eight other eight or nine other Premiership teams that have forty points put on them by Saracens next season. So let's pipe down on that one, eh? Um, <laughs> Worcester. Well, I mean, they'd just be eviscerated, Worcester, wouldn't they? Jesus. Um, the other thing I wanted to say about was: uh, Did anyone see the um, Ben sporting a, a nice Lions hoodie there? Did you Did you see their release of their Test jersey this week? Yeah. So for the last three months, Canterbury have been hawking around for the, and this is the reason I never bought one, a jersey that was the supporters jersey or the tour jersey or something like that. Um, Seventy-five quid, fifty quid if you buy the kids one. Um, it's a stand, you know, standard Lions fare. And then last week they bring out the the test jersey. Now, Canterbury did that for the. Uh, New Zealand tour and um, we were lucky enough to get hold of one of the test jerseys and I bought one of the tour, you know the supporter jerseys which differed only in that the collar was ever so, mar- ever so slightly different and the fit was different but everything else was the same um, the te- t- test jersey I think was 120 quid because it was all tapered and, and whatnot. Um what they've done this year is release a tour jersey for the supporters, which is completely different from the actual Lions shirt. And at no is point it, are they saying, like, yeah. it's visually different. It, it has different colours on it in different places. So it is a completely separate shirt. It's not just the fit that's different or the sticky bits from the test jersey. It's a completely different shirt. And in their marketing bump... Um, to advertise the product of a £105 lion shirt. It said that it's uh, constructed from recycled plastic bottles. Now, how many recycled plastic bottles do you need before you've spent 105 quid on them? That's a fucking lot of plastic bottles. Now, do you mean those three ones that you get at the recycling centre? Yeah. I mean, you probably have to you know, put a bit of red dye in with it when you're, you're making it and do your little badge thing. But it is opportunism at its most um, cynical and disgusting from Canterbury. It's truly disgusting that for two months before they, or three months before they released this jersey, they were saying that this is the Lions kit. They've got Sam Warburton walking around in it in, his, in, in all their marketing stuff. And then three weeks before the Lions teams announced they released a completely different jersey. It's 105 quid. And it not only looks different, but it's at a different price point. It's just disgusting. Um, 105 quid is an embarrassment, isn't it? Yeah. If you're going to make a cheaper one, at least make it look the same. Or I can see Ben for, there, or like, price hand, it, hand or on price chin, cheap, like, don't really care, mate. Cheaper. wasn't going to buy it anyway. If it's going to be that different to the to the normal playing Lions jersey and it's not a test jersey, then make it fucking cheaper. It's yeah. different. Yeah. Well, I was, I was, I was just going to say... Um, Sorry, Ben. I was just going to say, still, uh, you know, if you've got four going spare, just send, send them over. They ain't giving a shit anymore. I know. Now, from what I understand, the Lions contract pretty much bankrupted um, Canterbury for the New Zealand tour, um, which is why they stopped giving us free shit, um, which is why they stopped um, making kits for Bath and Leicester 
and other teams. England. But do you know what? Fuck you, Canterbury. That is an outrageous thing you've just done. Like, anyone that bought the 75 quid supporters jersey should should get their money back. It's, it could, like I say, I've bought every, every Lions jersey since um, the Matt Dawson one. Um, South Africa. Yeah. And they're all hung up in my wardrobe. This will be the first one I'm not going to get, and I'm a little bit sad about that. Or I'll wait until after the tour and buy it on Level Rugby for 15 quid. <laughs> Just before the next tour. Yeah. Fuck it, it's just a joke. The cost of things in general is an embarrassment, but it's just, it's companies that fork out so much money to sponsor something in the hope that they would recoup the money from the fans. And ultimately, it's it's them showing, oh yeah, look at us, we're the, the kit manufacturers of the Lions. Ultimately, the Joe on the street is going to be the people that pay for it. And it, I would implore it's, it's, anybody to to just boycott buying replica kits for anything, any reason, to be honest. Do you, do you reckon with no travelling fans they're going to sell considerably fewer of them? I would expect. Oh, uh, without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. yeah. Good. Good, because even the, even the bloody warm-up shirt, like the warm-up t-shirts are 55 so, quid. So with that in mind, like, if you put into content, I, I don't know how much it costs to produce a jersey, right? Individual An individual jersey. I can't imagine that it's... Well, like, any more than fifty pounds to produce. We've, we've all played for rugby teams. We've all played for cricket teams. I can get a for my village cricket team. I can get a cricket shirt with Solbury uh, the logo embroidered on it, and a, an initial an initial above, or um, you know, customized. And they're they're like twenty five quid. So, if so they that, were, that would tell know. you that they probably cost about ten quid to manufacture. Yeah. So with that in mind, in a year that there aren't going to be fans traveling to South Africa to support the Lions, right? Why not knock them out for 50? You'd probably make as much money knocking them out at 50 quid a throw on volume than you would at £105 a throw. Oh, no, I'm the sure they've team. done their maths, but it's... Fuck the maths. It's, it's, um, it's a nonsense and it drives me mad. You're driving me mad. Saints, um, Saints are another one. Bought out a brand new kit this year. It's already fifty percent off, and it's been fifty percent off in the club shop for the last six months. <laughs> it was virtually the day the season started that they're, they're changing their kits every year now. So, money, 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 money. Bath, Bath keep having a big push on social media. Thirty percent off our European strip. We've got another European game coming up, so here's another chance to buy our European strip. But if you haven't bought it yet, you're not going to buy it now just because it's the same price as it was when it first came out, which is 30% wait, off. Wait, wait until if they make a final. I bet they sell more shirts if they make a European final. The, um, it's a bit the game is in trouble of... I don't know. I, I don't... It just seems like we're not far away from rug, rugby imploding. <laughs> and I, for one, apart from the work, which I'd miss... I've, I've got a pretty sour taste in my mouth about rugby at the moment, as we all have for the last um, six or seven months. Can I, can I, can I just add to that a little bit? So apparently, Warren Gatland today has sent out letters to fifty players who are outside of the normal kind of international squads, asking if they're available for the Lions tour this summer. Did you say? Surely 50? the answers. 
50, yeah. So, A, surely the answer is going to be yes. Yes, Warren, I am available because <laughs> yeah. I've got nothing, literally nothing else to do with my summer. Um, but also, why is, he, why is he sending out 50 letters? It's absolutely bonkers. To people I that think... are not, to people that are not involved in international like, yeah, so some some of the names on the list: Sam Simmons, Hadley Parks, which is a joke, um, Simon Zebo, Jack Knoll, Tuolangi, Reese Webb, Danny Kerr, John Cooney, Joe Marler, George Cruz, Sam Underhill. You don't need to write a letter to Sam Underhill. You just tell him he's in the squad. Sure, yeah, you just listen, listen. If 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 Marler and Hadley Parks get in that Lions squad. There is not going to be a table or something between here and Cape Town. <laughs> I'd love to see it. I'd love to I, see it. Controversial. I controversial. Oh, yo, yo, I pick Marla. Oh, you live with Hadley Parks? Fuck I off, could live with mate. Fuck uh, off. When I say I could live with him, like not in my house. But... No, no, like he was average to good in his slight prime of 18 months that he had for Wales. Like, he hasn't played... Yeah, no, ben, I'm, I'm going to tell you man to... Jamie, uh, poor man's one. Jamie Roberts. Yeah. I couldn't um, live I don't think it's part. likely, but I, I, could, I could cope no, with... No, no, no. 37th choice New Zealand centre playing for Absolutely the Lions. Absolutely couldn't think of anything worse. Ricky Flutie did all right. <laughs> Ricky Flutie. Who was the other... Um, Kiwi England centre that was you know uh, I can't not... say it. <laughs> you know I can't say not it. Shantian Hape. Shantian Hape. <laughs> oh, that fucking hate. But 50, 50 is a lot, isn't it? Like, it, that's not just like. I mean, that's not an exaggeration, is it? Like, like 50 outside of the current international. Yeah, so you. So, so you're... All right. We've got those 80 odd players, 90 odd players yeah, who you, I can you... pick. He must be right bring into, like, 50. Gareth Edwards and people like that. <laughs> you Yours still must available, still be in the post, Ben. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I haven't got mine. I'm outraged. I mean, you've got, you've got your... I've even bought some stash, yeah. They, they, could save, they could save a few quid there. I've already got a hoodie. You've just got to write... In, in, previous, in previous years, Lions stash. <laughs> just... Yeah. Bring it, lads. Have you been on a Lions tour before? Bring your stash, Jack. Jack, no, I know you. You were there in New Zealand. If you can bring that stash with you, we need to save a few quid. Um, just just like a red load, if you need any. Just, just like a red T-shirt from Primark with Lions written on it. Cor- Cor- Corey Hill has got some stash if you need it. <laughs> oh wow! Tell you who's not got any stash, Mike Tyndall. Um. Anyway. Let's move Dylan on. Dylan Hartley. Dylan Hartley, well, he deserved it. I think um, what would be quite a good thing to do instead of a Lions squad would be to pick an all-time um, Lions diss squad. Oh, well, like uh, should have an, been on the Lions an alternative that, never, that were never lioned. I mean, that's been yeah. done, isn't it? Surely the, the best. George Ford. Been. Well, yeah, Definitely maybe we're these. I can only think of Tyndall for now, but uh, there are pretty there are there are a few. Um, we've we've done nearly an hour and a half, and we've literally achieved nothing. So I was going to ask the ask 
M O anything question that was that was posed uh, by Adam Foxcroft. Um, should we do it in lieu of any other business? Should we do it in lieu of any other business? That's what we'll do. And and the question of Phil, you'd already answered said question. Yeah, I'm um, with my answer. But you were being obviously slightly flippant in your response. Um, but the question from Adam was, which celebrity would you like to spend May Bank holiday with, and what would you do? Um, Phil, do you want to put? You want to answer? What yeah, you I'd, I'd I'd love to go for a nice dog walk with James Haskell across some farmers' fields with public footpaths in them. I mean, let, don't please show don't, him how to use a lead. I mean, but why? Did, you know, I, I'm not going to get into it. But from what I could see, he wasn't <laughs> doing anything wrong. He just he walked his dog on some arable land. There weren't any animals. Lots of fucking sanctimonious dickwads that wanted to DM him and tell him what an absolute cunt he was. I mean, that might be Nothing absolute, to do with the dog. That might be absolutely true, right? He might be an absolute bellwiff. But hey, look, we we weren't there. We don't really. No, know. that's right. Um, but, but but why should people but, have uh, the, but, people have the right? He has, he, to DM he him, calling him a dick and a cunt, and has, they're going to shoot his dog. What what right does well, that? So they're within, they're within their right to shoot his dog um, if they think there's livestock being worried by it. Um, but the point is um, that he has a position of relative celebrity and he could have used it for a positive message and he chose to be a knob he, about people it. People are only upset because he's not, shut down you know a few people. You know what? He could have actually just not even mentioned the whole thing on, on Facebook or Twitter or wherever it was or Instagram. Yeah. And just gone, you know, something happened. I disagree with him. I'm going to move on with it. But no, he tried to bring himself a bit of bit of it, uh, attention with it, and it backfired on him. Which I don't. Yeah, I don't think it backfired on him one bit. I think he's he's kind of made light of a, an issue which he probably doesn't think is serious, but some other people would think is serious. And the so taking the social media out of it, he'd have been better off just keeping his mouth shut. Oh, but wouldn't we all? Like, how boring would it be if we all just kept the mouth shut about everything? Ridiculous, in my opinion. The whole situation is ridiculous. Um, ben, bank holiday weekend, what would you do and who would you do it with? Ted Hastings. Oh, mother of God. And I, and I, I just... I look, for ben, look for Ben Coppers? Yeah, go after Ben Coppers, yeah. Interview. I'd just like... I'd just go 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 to... The pub and just sit, make people be interviewed by us. <laughs> you, and, you and Ted, me and Ted in the Albion, everyone that comes in, sit down. You will be afforded the full protection of the law. Yeah, Jesus, Mary, Joseph, and the wee little donkey. Amazing. The yeah. best, the best British television show ever, ever to be made without any shadow of a doubt. It's incredible. Literally. Except for Sharp with Sean Bean, obviously. As opposed to the other Sharp. <laughs> Doug. Do you know he was named after a rugby player? Was he really? Richard Sharp, yeah. Doug, Doug formal. In the current guys I can see you with, you've got a, a really, you know, a really spectacular mane of hair. Yeah, need a, need a bit of a cut. Go on. Bank holiday weekend, what are you doing? You hostling with Chris Eubank. You're such a prick because that's the exact same thing that I was going to say. No, um... that's all I wanted to do. <laughs> I saw a sign for a youth hostel today on the way down to Cape Cornwall. I was like, I just want to be there with Chris Eubank. 
Um, but honestly, right now, um, I wouldn't mind 96 holes. Uh, well, no, 90 holes of golf around Augusta with Tiger Woods would be pretty good. That'd be, that'd be nice. You'd have, fully to push, fit Tiger Woods. you'd have to push him, wouldn't you? Good. Yeah. <laughs> what is he in his wheelchair? <laughs> Very nice. I reckon you um, could have him. I reckon you could beat him at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're not quite there, just clip him with the cart just to make sure. Take but the don't other let him out. drive. I mean, the, the, it's not just the golf, it'd be the extracurriculars that I'd be into. <laughs> Oh, Taking it to I, extra don't, house. I don't know. I don't know what to do now because you know I I would I would like I would like a um I would like to go on a a sunshine villa holiday with um Bill Oddy. not with Bill Oddy. I, I mean I mean I, Jeff I can't, from Gladiators with Jeff from Gladiators um, incorporating the Millennium Barn Dance. <laughs> But no, I, I I just like to be somewhere hot and sunny with um You literally live in Cornwall. With a with a you know 50, what, with a fifty year old stunner and use those exact words. You know what, Russ? I very nearly said I would I would choose not to go with a celebrity and I'd roll the clock back three years and go back to Portugal with you and your missus. No, you wouldn't. But then I thought, no, that'd be bonkers. That would be bonkers. What a ridiculous, ridiculous suggestion. Right, we have literally done an hour and a half and I can't remember a word that any of you have said. So um, with that in mind, uh, let's get out of here. We'll be back next week. I don't even know what's happening this week. There's some premiership stuff going on, I think. And uh, European yeah. semis, isn't it? Oh, it? God, a European rugby week. Oh, God. Oh, so, so I'm completely wrong then. It is the European semis and there isn't any rugby this week. So... With that in mind, we probably won't be back next week, or we might be back next week, and you can do uh, an ask more over anything. And we'll it's, just... the, it's the last one before the Lions squad selection. Do we do a Lions thing? No. No. Everybody does Lions things, don't they? Why don't we just get together and chat shit? Yeah, yeah. let's. Let, we'll just we'll just arrive. Send us questions for a change. Send a load of questions. What are you going to do tonight, guys? Get the more questions, the more shit. questions you give us, the funnier it'll be. Send so, us British Lions questions, but think outside the box. Hmm. Have we had any more commitments to the um, All Over Invitational? We've had a few, and we should mention this before we go. We have had a few, uh, also known as WD40, um, is, is committed. I think um, Guy, who is uh, the French... Um, moniker on Twitter that I can't pronounce, but he was Rugby Wobble who sent in a load of questions from Crediton. He's keen. Um, we're, we've got a lot of keenness, a lot of um, a lot of interest. I know that JB and Tim from the Egg Chasers were keen as well. Doug, you contacted them. So hopefully, you know, we'll see. Like, at the very least, out of all of this, we will, there will be a Nuki second team fixture on that weekend. And the four of us will play. That is the very least of what will happen. Hey, and no, the more no, no. people we can't pull out now. 
We will get fifteen people. Oh no, we absolutely we absolutely will. I'm not not pulling I'm not pulling out of anything, mate. The very least that will happen is the four of us will go to rugby pitch together. I envisage many, many Moreover fans from all over the country and internationally arriving in Newquay. Um Phil, and we, I'm talking talking to you, Eddie Stevens. We we do need Dog to come. um source a kit at some point as well. Because I think we can, yeah, as, if we get if we get people to come and play for us, they should probably be able to keep the jersey afterwards. Do you reckon we could get a, a, some sponsorship or a sponsor for that? No, I can. Okay, I can. Uh, I can see what we can do. Just get a cheap kit. Take it away. Yeah, I, I do think that your own club socks, and we'll provide a shirt. Yeah, cheap. We'll see what even, we can do. Even with if that. I have to, well, I mean, we could get Wabu TV to sponsor it. There we go. Tax, tax deductible. Say no more. Uh, IRS. <laughs> uh, Irving R. Shyster. Do you remember him from the <laughs> wrestling days? <laughs> what a time. Anyway, right, I'm go- let's go because this is descended into chaos. We yeah. will do the Mallover Invitational uh, weekend of the 8th, 9th of October. Keep it free. This is happening. Um, but do let us know if you're going to come so we can start to, to plan and if you I can help out with accommodation and all that sort of stuff. So just let us know. Anyway, uh, we'll probably see you next week for some really like non-rugby-related random chat. Uh, if this hasn't been random enough, go well. Podcast Network.